Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm Mason S. I'm an addict. With me, as always, is TK. Yeah, yeah. We're back for another episode, and today uh, we got something a little different for you. Uh, We happen to have the RD from our region um, that came and that was actually participated in the World Service Conference this year, and he's going to share a little bit about that. We got Mr. Kelly S. with us today. Kelly, how you doing, man? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing outstanding. Great to be here, Mason. Glad you're here, man. If you want to start off um, by telling us your clean date and where you attend meetings at now. Uh, sure. Yeah. I actually just celebrated on the 15th of May, 39 years. And uh, I attend uh, meetings in Woodland Hills, California. Um, and also on Sunday, I jump up over the hill and, uh, attend a really great Sunday morning meeting out in Simi Valley. That is awesome. Congratulations on 39 years, man. That's, Thank uh, you. longer than I've been alive. He's been clean. So well, I guess you could consider California. Never heard that before. Never yeah. heard that before. Never. No, it's <laughs> probably... <laughs> There's probably less people here that have been alive that long than the ones that uh have so um all right so before we get started on the conference let's talk about the special meeting that you got to attend the other day um we were actually talking back and forth through text and i was super super jealous but uh can you walk us through that experience yeah so uh in our in in the archives and history of of our fellowship uh you will often see a picture of a of a church and it's always referenced as uh where na began right uh but often uh it's just a, a private residence or it was just a private church and recently uh there is now uh every saturday at 7 p.m at 10803 cantera street sun valley california there's a meeting called where it all began and anyone now rather than just going to that location because there's still a phone booth there that doesn't work but they've left a phone booth so that you can stand outside on the phone with cantera street in the background showing that you have been usually people have only been that's as far as they've been able to go with it like uh the i i i am standing where na began but i think what just blows my mind now is they've opened it up on saturday that if you're there on a saturday you can go to a narcotics anonymous meeting where jimmy k started narcotics anonymous in the very room how cool is that? 
And yes. that's and that's every Saturday, correct? Every Saturday. And you know what's really kind of surprising? There's not many people who show up. That's like eight people who come. Wow. Oh, you you would think so, that that would be I, I don't think the word's getting out. I and and, and in a way that's good because there's no public parking either. You've got to find a place to park on the street. And uh, sometimes you got to walk a couple of, find a place and walk a couple of blocks. Um, and, uh, and, but um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm going there this Saturday. I have a friend of mine who's speaking uh, from, from uh, Santa Clarita. She's the RD for the Southern California region and she's speaking. So I'm going to head on over there and it's only like 30 minutes drive for me. So 30 minute drive every Saturday and, and I'm hanging out there and, and there's some really good people that are there. So, wow. I just looked at my calendar a minute ago, Kelly. And, um, you know, uh, next year in October, October 5th is on a Saturday. You could actually go there during the anniversary of where it all began. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly is making a gesture of his head blowing up. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's um, dive in because there was a lot that happened at the conference and, you know, we are, we're limited on time, so we're going to dive right into it. Uh, I guess the first thing I kind of want to talk about is what was the overall atmosphere um, as far at, at the conference this year? So the, the atmosphere of the conference was, um, in, well, okay. Leading up to the conference, um, there, there, the, okay, I'll backtrack there. The conference, the atmosphere of the conference was um, unity, cooperation, collaboration, and respect. Um, even those who disagreed on issues did so with, with respect, and those who uh, objected to some of those points of view, treated everyone with mutual respect. And uh, that is, uh, we didn't know in 2018, okay, so 2000, a lot of issues were, were being discussed, a lot of uh, fighting, a lot of bickering, a lot of arguing, a lot of, um, uh, uh, going till two o'clock in the morning and just, it was probably from those who experienced the 2016 was the absolute worst conference. And, uh, a lot of people came back and they never went back. They were done with their position and they were absolutely done. So significant changes were made on how the conference is run and how we make decisions that when I showed up as the AD in 2018 was the most amazing experience I had ever had. And that was echoed and, and shared by almost everybody that this was the best world service conference of Narcotics Anonymous. And the idea and the thought was it can't get any better than this. It can't get it can't get any better than what we experienced in 2018. 
Uh, and then months before the 2020 conference, they had to make a decision to cancel it due to COVID and go online. And then we had uh, an interim conference in 22, and then um, a face-to-face -face conference in 23. And I think that the, the, the general idea was that, or the perception was that we didn't quite know what it was going to be like. Like it couldn't be better than 18. We knew that it can't be better than that. And it was. It was better. Um, and uh, so that was the atmosphere. That that is that is awesome, man. And and do you feel like the pandemic happening um, really was beneficial to the atmosphere, or were people glad to get back together and see each other again? I don't think it. Okay, I think it does in in a, in a way, and and I'll try to. There are certain cultures that uh, object to the expense of World Service Conference and the value that we get as a fellowship compared to the expense. And when COVID happened and we had to meet online, there was roughly maybe 30% of the conference participants that participated in 2020 on the virtual conference. That was their only experience with it. That, that was their world service conference. Right. And there was this belief of why should we, why should we meet in face-to-face? -face? Clearly we, we can make decisions online and we don't need to go. There are those of us who had been and tried to explain that there is so much more that is not being represented in this, in this forum, in this paradigm that uh, it's not appropriate to be making a decision on something unless you've experienced everything. If you've accounted for all the factors that are related to the decision, you can't just make a decision based upon, uh, I'm going to marry someone because she's really attractive. Right. Right. Not knowing that, you know, there may be some mental health issues or that, uh, she may be married still right like those are important things you need to factor in on that decision and so people were making decisions based upon one single event one data point and so when 2022 or 2020 came around or 22 yeah 2022 um again there was this um we had an interim conference we were make we were able to make certain decisions there right and there was still this do we really need to do this? Do we really, um, is there value that we get out of this? Uh, uh, you know, it, it costs over $400,000 for the fellowship to put on this conference, right? Um, and so uh, I think that in a way, and then when, when members came, who all they've ever experienced was the 2020 and the 2022 interim online conference that was their only experience and when they came uh you could just see that it completely changed their mind on that there was so there there was so much that is not communicated so much that is not 
uh, uh, presented when, when you and I are in this two-box mode that um, uh, every conversation I had with almost every delegate who had never experienced a face-to-face and only the interim when they were there, I don't think a single one said, this is a waste of money. We shouldn't be here. This is not helpful to our fellowship. Not a single person. Now, I'll, remain, I'll let this person, I won't name who this person is. Uh, there was a delegate team where one of the delegate opted to stay home and participated entirely online through the entire conference. And the other delegate member was face-to-face. And I was in uh, a meeting, and this person, much to my surprise, voiced that that was a horrible mistake and that if they had to do it again, they would have been there in person because they missed so much, they missed out on so much, and uh, I was really quite surprised to hear that. So on, on to the um, conference itself, this is what I was telling Travis. Uh, I've participated in business meetings in my home group, area meetings, and regional meetings. To me, listening, and this is just listening to the audio and texting back and forth, it was the most spiritual form of business being done that I've ever experienced in Narcotics Anonymous. That's what I took away from it. And that's just me getting to listen. I'm not even there in person. I'm, I was just flabbergasted at how smooth everything was going, um, even with the people who wasn't getting their way. You know, so um, that was just my take, you know, on the other side of the country listening uh, but did did you kind of feel something similar to that? Uh, it's kind of what you were touching on. So we've developed a process that I really wish areas and regions would would take another look at. All right, and that is where um, everyone sees the proposal, everyone sees the the motion. Okay, and what I like is they do a straw poll. And if 80% are in agreement, right? Get to speak to objection to, to, that, to that issue. And when they take another straw poll, if nothing changes, why are we going to spend an hour debating something that has strong support. And I think that just that tweak, right, uh, has puts, allows the conference to argue positions that are contentious, that are, you know, on the margin where, it, where that discussion and, and debate needs to be. And why do we spend two hours debating an issue that has 89 or 90% support of the conference that didn't make any. And so we were able to adjust that now. However, what is also extremely cool to see, right? Was 
um, it was the motion related to uh, abstentions, right? The first straw poll had uh, consent, strong consensus support, right? So it had strong consensus to support, and uh, we all voted prior to coming to the conference, so we all got to see where everybody was at on it. Uh, it was the delegate from the Netherlands that stood up because he was one of the two who was in the minority, right? And, and said, our region is against this because we, we have votes that we voted abstain, we abstained uh, on some of these motions and we, how do we vote? We don't know, you know, our voice is not being carried. And you, we got to see that motion go from strong support, I think over 85% were in favor to below 66%. And yeah. we got to see a decision change. We got to see uh, the process work. We got to see that that process work. Yeah. How to, because we, we, we straw polls should be something that area service committees and regional service committees should be looking at how to be implementing in their decision process. And if, um, if a group wants to join the area and they don't meet the requirements, but, but there's a strong consensus that, you know, we want to, we want to just go ahead and bring them in. You could, you could say, you know, someone makes a motion, a proposal that uh, the Friday Night Live group join the area and have full voting privileges immediately. And then the chairperson or the co-facilitator co would take a straw poll. If there's 10 GSRs and nine say yes, that's a straw poll, it's not a decision. And so what, the, what, what he can say is we'll hear from the, from the minority. And the one GSR will often not, I don't have nothing to say about this. I just, you know, I don't know what my group says. I don't know what their conscience is, and I'm not going to make a decision on this. Okay. So all the co-facilitator has to do at that point and go, without objection, the last drop hole is a decision. Yeah. Done. Done. Now we're moving on. Yeah. And so we were able to go through quite a few motions quickly uh, and, and make decisions. Now, the only objection, the only time... That, that, that this just didn't, this didn't quite happen was, I uh, forget the motion, um, but it went into an hour, a 45, okay, so you have strong support, they open it up for, my, for, for debate. Um, let's say uh, two, two, object, two people from, from the opposing side speak, take another straw poll, now, if there's a significant change in the straw poll than last time, then the co-facilitator will now open it, the queue to everyone to, to be queued into it, okay? Yeah. And at some point, he'll say, okay, we're going to take another straw poll now to see if the, if the decision has moved either one way or the other, right? Where I saw that we get where we went kind of sideways is, and you probably heard this, is that once the queue is closed, and we're going to take another straw poll, he asks, are there any questions? And I don't know if you noticed, but we spent 45 minutes, people 
claiming to have questions, but still kind of wanting to debate it, right? Yeah. Debate it, in a, but it was 45 minutes. Now, <clears throat> here's what was interesting. <clears throat> the, the proposal didn't have 60%. Oh, it didn't yeah. have 60 It was exactly not going to pass. Talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It I was not going to pass. But we spent 45 minutes just in the question before the, before the next draw poll. Yeah. Just was, asking questions for the next draw poll. It was never um, going to pass. It was never going to pass. And so if you can imagine that being the way it used to be in 2016. That's how uh, every motion probably was. That's how every motion was ground to the dust. And uh, this time it only happened once. And I think that the co-facilitator, this is the, how important it is to have really good co-facilitators at the World Service Conference. It's because... Daniel knew that um, at that particular time, with that particular issue, even though it wasn't going to pass, sometimes you need to let the participants just run the air out of their lungs. Yeah. Right? Let them, let them, let the air run out. And if that's how far it has to go, that's because clearly cards kept going up cards kept going up lots and lots of cards so it's there's a there's a uh and a there's a skill of a of facilitating of being able to feel the 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 atmosphere and the mood of 120 voting members how do you do that how how does someone learn to do that, right? To just have that intuitive knowing that there, we need to take a little more time on this and we need to take a little more time on this. But also he at times was very, um, I hate to use a very uh, confident in his decisions to end certain things, right? And uh, when challenged, he was able to present his side. And I think the conference supported every challenge that I think that he, yeah. every, every decision that he made that was challenged, I think the conference said, yes, we, we agree with that. All right. So let's roll on in um, for the sake of time. Let's get into these uh, motions. So one through six is kind of talking about the FIPT, correct? So uh, let me get to, do I have, I think, so one through, uh, let me bring up, I'm sorry, those who are listening are like, why is there a pause? It's because we're listening. So uh, yes, motion one related to um, adding, uh, I'm pausing because this is technical legal language, right? And at the group level, at the member level, uh, do they really care? 
uh is this does this ha does this have any right um and the motions that are related those first three motives motions that are related to the fellowship intellectual property trust i was a member of that work group right and these motions are a result of being on a work group that presented these to the board as uh motions to to be presented in the car i probably spent over 200 hours of my time participating in these right uh basic basically bathed in the blood of the fipt but when i go out to meetings and i meet newcomers or i meet people with time uh they do not care in any way about what any of this is right um and imagine what it's like to be a member to invest so much time uh, in something that most of the fellowship doesn't care about. Right? But here's the problem, and this is why I care so much about it. Okay? If I, if I, okay. I like the book Dune by Frank Herbert. I really like that book, right? But I can't go to Kinko's and photocopy that book and put my name on it and sell it because those aren't my words, right? I didn't write that. And Frank Herbert is the author and he has intellectual property. That's his intellectual property. Now, the problem we have in the fellowship is that uh, there is no author. There, there is no author of the basic text or any of our literature. So who says you can make a copy of that book or you can't make a copy of that book? So we were faced with a dilemma when that started to happen and people started to claim that those are my words, right? That uh, we were at risk of imagine a fellowship that has uh, a different book, depending on where you live, that is rewritten in the vision of a personality, often a very strong, charismatic, powerful personality. Right. And so what we would have what we were at risk of becoming is nothing but obscure cults of different versions of what a basic text is, depending on where you go around the country or even around the world. Right. And so to prevent that from happening, there had to be who owns our words. And the only mechanism, the only tool that we had available was a mechanism called a trust. And a trust can be the author of that, of those words. And the author can be broken down into 
Who benefits from our words? Beneficiaries. We all benefit from it. Uh, the person sitting next to you is benefiting from our basic text, the language in our recovery. He benefits from going to a meeting where you are in Tennessee, that he can come to my home group in uh, um, Van Owen on Monday night, and it'll be the same book with the same words. That's a benefit, right? But he isn't the trustor, right? He's not the trustor related to that book. The trustors occur during the conference. At the start of the conference until the end of the conference, regional delegates are the trustors. They make decisions. They make decisions based upon our service structure that goes all the way up to the groups. So the groups give voice through our service structure to the delegate as trustors on the conference on what can be done with the words that we own. And the trustees are the people who just go out and do what we've told them to do. So that's why I'm very passionate about that. And I know it's a very complex uh, paradigm to communicate to a person who just wants to get clean. I just want to get through a day clean. Uh, I, just got, I just lost my kids. I lost my job. I've been in jail for three months. Um, that, but the, but what, what happens is when that newcomer comes into the meeting, the newcomer, I, I got 39 years clean. At 39 years clean, I'm reading from the same book as that guy getting out of jail with one day clean. We're reading from the same book, right? And, and that can only happen through the mechanism that we chose to, to use. And the fellowship agreed that we would use this. And so what motion one was about is that we have in Asia, we have 20 or 15 regions that don't have a seat at the conference. And the groups within those regions don't have a voice. Remember the groups at the top yeah. through our service structure. They do not have a voice, right? When it comes to, they don't have a voice, right? And so what we've done through that motion one is we've given through a zonal delegate for unseated regions, all those groups have a decision on approving or, or and, 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 and for approving literature that we, we create. Um, and then you know, I, I won't waste a lot of time on, on motion two. There's a lot of history about motion two. It was why the work group was formulated. Um, but basically uh, it just comes down to, you know, um, you as a member, think of you as a, think that you as a, as a, as a GSR for your home group, going to region and saying, my home group voted to audit the books of the treasury of the region. And no other person here can participate in that decision. None of you. Because my home group said, we're going to do it. But no other home group got to participate in that decision. 
No other areas got to participate in that decision. Just one home group and the home group members of that one group. And so that's what happened with the inspection clause that we believed, the conference believed that one region doesn't represent the trustors when it comes to inspecting the trust, that all of us should participate in that decision. Now I'll, I'll finish with this because probably wasted a lot of time on this, but uh, we made the changes. We presented those changes for 90 day review. So every delegate had 90 days to review uh, the changes to the, to the operation, to the, tr the instrument of the trust changes to the operational rules, which related to inspection and not a single region submitted any objections or any suggestions to changes, none of them. And they had 90 days to do it and none of them did. Issue of approving an inspection, I argued should be at 34%, very low, right? To make a consensus decision of the conference requires 66%. So you need 66% consensus to, to pass all car motions require 66%. I was arguing for 33% approve or 34% for a conference motion to be passed to initiate an inspection of the trust. And that's because I think that, that the given, giving people the, the impression that even a small minority still has the ability to, to initiate an inspection if there's a concern, right? And uh, when, when we did the survey and, and conference participants voted between 66%, which is our normal decision-making threshold, or 51 plus one, right? So most of the data, most of the, most of the survey results were in those two fields. And I was quite surprised to see only 13 agreed with me that it should be 33. So the reason I'm going to this long-winded uh, uh, tirade is that at the conference, it was argued that uh, this was being rammed down the fellowship's throat, that uh, nothing was being done, or, you know, that they had no choice but to accept this, and that uh, the threshold of 51% was, was way too high, and it needs to be lower to, to, to express that. And one of the few times I spoke at the conference on the conference floor was to point out that all that was incorrect. And that uh, while certain individuals want to look and point their fingers at NA World Service and the board of directors as trying to ram something down the fellowship's throat, in reality, we had to look at ourselves and realize we, one, we did not provide any other input to the changes that were submitted during the 90 day re review cycle. And two, most of the delegates wanted either 50% plus one or 66%. And I think even 66% was more than 50% plus one, and the board chose to go down to the 50 plus one and just leave it at that. Sorry for the very long explanation on those. And then the, and then the bulletin, um, it just, uh, you know, there's the, I, I read on Facebook uh, um, conspiracy theories related to this motion three, the, the, the rewriting the bulletin one, right? And, you know, there was no motion to do that. 
right? Why do they, you know, why? So let me tell you, let me tell you for, I will go on record here, okay? This is what happened because I was there, okay? The team of delegates that wrote the changes to the operational rules, it took about a year of working together to, to do that. And it required uh, group writing exercises, right? Group, you know, writing something as a group is completely different than writing something as an individual. And to write something as a group required communication, co cohesion, uh, where, and we had gotten to a level where we were really good at working together at writing things, right? And we all knew that Bulletin 1 sucked, <laughs> right? It was a hard document to read. It didn't really make sense. Things were all over the place, right? And we were tasked with changing the language and the operational rules. And we had done that. And we, as the delegates who were a part of the work group, the delegates said, hey, can we take a shot at rewriting bulletin one? And the board said, yeah, see what you can do. So what you see is as a result of the delegates who were on that work group saying we can do a better job than what is there now. And that's how it came about. That's how that changed. That's how the rewriting of it came about. And that's how that motion came about. It did not, the board did not ask us to do that. NAS did not ask us to do that. The work group as delegates wanted to rewrite it. We wanted to write an introduction. We wanted to put copyright at the start, at the beginning of it, and put trademarks towards the end. We wanted to clarify certain languages, you know, clean up inconsistency in our language of, of trust or trustee beneficiaries, and make it a much more easier document to read that you can hand to a member and says, this is how we make copies of our hard, of, of our literature. Man, that is a lot of stuff that goes into the, um, you know, to the trust. But, you know, I think the newcomer that's probably listening to this is probably going, what in the fuck are they talking about? But right. I think it's very important that people like yourself and others are, are putting in that work to protect our literature. What I come to learn that I didn't learn was that, um, our number one moneymaker in this fellowship is literature sales, not seventh tradition. So right. for those people that feel so strongly about having the ability to be able to print their own, what they don't realize is they're taking away money from, from the fellowship as a whole. Here's, 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 the, here's, here's, the, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. So, Here's the, the, when I hear these arguments that uh, World Service is a money-making organization, okay? Here's the problem with that. It doesn't take a lot of effort and a, lo and a very, it doesn't take a lot of analysis to do, to look at the operations of World Service before you quickly come to the conclusion that they're really bad at it. Okay, if making money was the objective, they're really, really bad at it. Okay, and for example, 
I bought my basic first basic text in January 1984 for $5. If you account for inflation, $5 is worth $21 today. But the basic text is still $13. Right? So they fail miserably at accounting for inflation when it comes to the value of the dollar versus what they're selling. So that should tell anybody with any kind of common sense to go, well, maybe it's not about money. Maybe it's about, you know, doing selling at the very bottom minimum that compares to our expenses. Now, here's another thing to think about. If, if a group is printing literature, basic texts and, and selling them or buying them from another distributor who is printing versions of what they think is there is the right basic text and selling them. Okay. And then that group is also participating in voting on motions that deal with projects. Right. And if they're participating in literature survey on what, on what projects they want to the fellowship to work on, uh, it doesn't make any sense to be asking NA World Service and NA and, and the board of directors to start projects that require money and then deprive them of that money after they just voted on these new projects. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is, uh, um, it's a literature sale, literature sale model has been a failing model and everyone has known it's a failing model from almost the very beginning. Um, what I find, I, I, what I find interesting is that when you dig into our history and you look back, um, I don't think that you'll meet, I don't think that you'll meet anyone and motor, motorcycle ed may, may disagree with this, but I, I think when, when, when they were going through those literature conferences up to the point where they had their first basic text, I don't think it was in anyone's mind that they were giving that away for free. In fact, the, the, the review book, I think, or even the first edition book was being, in 1982, was being sold for $25. You know what $25 accounts for today in today's dollars? Like $75 for a book, right? Uh, so it was about making money. <laughs> it was absolutely about making money. Yeah. Uh, the big book of uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was written to make money. Uh, it's always been about that. Um, where I think we go sideways is that we look at we look at um, a tangible thing. It's easier to look at tangibles, right, and argue tangibles. Expenses. Number one thing that we love to fixate on as a fellowship is how much something costs, right. How much are you spending, right? Because we can see that on a line item, on a spreadsheet, right? The fuck is that, right? And they will. But any world service, their mission is intangible. They have an intangible mission to carry the message of recovery in his or her language. 
and culture. That is their objective. Other businesses have other, have different objectives. Make more than you're spending. That's a business objective. That's a business strategic mission. Make more than you spend. But NA World Service is given, is, is, is through the traditions uh, and our fellowship, that is not their mission, right? Their mission is intangible. And we don't, ass we don't assign or associate a tangible value of an addict getting clean. And that's what they're doing. That's what we're asking them to do, right? Carry the message in his or her language or in their language or culture, right? And uh, everything is driven for that. Everything is driven towards that. And we've seen them succeed. This is the problem. We see them succeeding when we are sitting at a world service conference and we have the idiom, we have, I'm sitting next to the German speaking region. I'm sitting next to the Israeli region. I'm sitting down from the Netherlands region, um, Costa Rica, uh, Brazil, the regions that we, you know, Thailand just got seated, right? And um, we, they, they, we are reaching addicts in their language. Nepal, right? Nepal now has a meeting. It, I, how do you assign, what is the, what dollar, if people are going to fixate on a dollar spent by NA World Service, what is the dollar value of an addict in Nepal getting clean and finding recovery? Is it a dollar? Is it $2? Is it $10? What is it? Because you've got to compare it against something, right? And I like to think, I like to say, I spent $5 on my basic text when I was 18. What is the value of that 18-year-old drug addict staying clean for 39 years? A lot more. What is that value? Yeah. A million? 10 million? A hundred million? Uh, immeasurable? Is that an immeasurable value? So if, if being clean, if an addict getting clean is an immeasurable value, then why are we suing people and bankrupting something based upon tangible expenses when we associate no value to the work that's being done. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, man. It makes perfect sense. And that's what, that's what we do. That's what we're asked to do at a conference. You know, that's the kind of, that's what we get to see. You know, I had, I heard, uh, uh, a conference participant speak on the floor towards the end. And it was clear in his discussion that he had been a part of a certain culture of our fellowship that have, that associate different value or a different value of NA World Service and a negative perception, a negative value. And 
there are certain narratives and certain things that are shared that substantiate and support those points of view. Okay. And I listened to him get up and say, that was all bullshit. He goes, I'm not seeing any of that here. He goes, these people, and he's pointing towards the, the, um, uh, the pool, the, uh, the, the pit, what they call the pit. It's where all the uh, NAS staff sit and, and they've got their computers and they're doing things. And then board and board of directors are, are different places and around. And he's pointing, he goes, you know, everything I've been told about those people so far, I haven't seen and I don't believe are true. Right. He goes, these board members that I've been meeting and talking to, they're addicts just like me, you know, and they love this fellowship just like me. Um, and it was interesting to see that by being there and immersing yourself in that experience, you get to see uh, in your own eyes um, that some of, the, some of the things that are, that are hyperbolic communicated through, through social media just don't stand up as truth when you're faced with it in person, face to face. They just don't stand up. You know, and that's that's really the one of the biggest. You know, other than you know me knowing you and liking you, uh, and and enjoying your message that you carry. Uh, other than that, the main reason I wanted you to be on here was to kind of give your perspective on something that so many people will never open their mind to and give an give it a chance, you know, and, and just like the gentleman that you were speaking of, you know, thank God that he went and got his own understanding of exactly what's going on. And I just, if anything ever came out of this, if one person would just open their eyes and give it an opportunity, you know, give it a chance, you know, cause we, me and him both, we, when we were coming up, Nas was the enemy. They're trying to take our fellowship. They're trying to tell us what we can do with our literature. That's the perspective that we were taught as newcomers. And we just took it as truth and never gave it to until this, I'd say the last couple of years, I've been really opening my mind and giving it an opportunity and listen to the whole world service conference. And I'm like, this is nothing. The same thing that that guy was, this is nothing like what I've been told. And, um, I'm so glad that I did, man. And, you know, this may ruffle some people's feathers that listen to this, you know what? So what? Give it an opportunity, man. I'm telling you, um, exactly that guy's experience is exactly what I experienced was, these people are addicts just like me and they love the fellowship and they are working their asses off to ensure that we continue to grow, continue to carry the message to the addict that still suffers and carry the message to people who have never heard of Narcotics Anonymous. You know, somebody, because of the work that was being done at that conference, somebody will get to experience our message that, in 1953, that was just a total pop dream and never even, it was impossible, you know? So I think it's a beautiful thing, man. And if nobody's told you, I'm ex extremely grateful for your service and everybody else that, that participated in that. And, um, you know, my eyes I'll, have I'll, been open. I'll, uh, I, I know we're running out of time. I just want to uh, take this opportunity to share. There's one, there's one last 
issue with the conference that uh, I wasn't really prepared for. Uh, and I think it's, it's something that most are not prepared for. When you do this level of service, you meet amazing people and you develop close friendships with them. And there is no greater honor than to sit in those bleachers and represent a region. Uh, the only thing that comes close is doing an H&I panel and then a month later you see one of the patients walk into the meeting. Like that's the only thing that comes close, right? And what I was not really prepared for and I'm struggling with and I was struggling with during the conference is this has come to an end. And it's a loss. It's a significant loss. Last seven years of my life, I've participated at that level of service. And it is, the, it is what I love to do. Uh, I feel it's a calling that that's, that's where I, I want to say belong, but that's, that's where I am, right? Uh, those people are my people, right? We all, we all struggle together with the things that we were talking about and the, and the, and the misinformation and the, and, or being a part of that misinformation and knowing who they are and they know who you are and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and I wasn't ready for it to end. And uh, I'm sharing this because it's going to be part of the record, right? Yeah. And there's a grieving process. There's actually a grieving process. The first is denial. Nah, it's not, it's not coming to an end. The next is uh, angry, you know, I'm just, and then bargaining, bargaining, okay? How can I dope my way back, back. <laughs> right? How can I get back here, right? Because the next phase is depression and knowing that I'm not coming back. And what level of service could compare to this, right? Uh, and so I struggled, I went through this process and I, and I struggled of what, what, what am I gonna do next? What, what will I do next? And that was kind of answered for me on, on uh, Sunday. Uh, I just showed up at the Southern California Regional Meeting. Uh, I still know a lot of people there and Someone nominated me for vice chair of the Southern California region. And now you're looking at the next vice chair of the Southern <laughs> California region, right? What am I going to focus on? What am I going to do? Public relations, motherfucker. Public relations, right? Public information. Um, and we just had, we just had the, a great learning day, right? Or professionals day. Yeah. Right? What am I thinking? We have an area called Desert Inland, uh, uh, Desert uh, Empire Area, DEA, right? And on, on the, in the regional meeting, they're saying we need help. We're a, strong, we're a small, struggling rural area, and we need help. What's, what, what was Madison County in North Alabama? Small rural area looking for help. What do we do? We put on a professional's day, right? 
And it's like, I know exactly what our next step is. I know exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. It's and, in uh, our name, DEA. Let's let's reach out to the DEA and bring them in. <laughs> so, uh, so that is where, where I'm at. Um, and uh, for all those who want to know, you can go to na.org and you can download the summary of results uh, that go over um, a summary of all the decisions that we're making. You can reach out to your local RCM for your area for the for the decisions of our region, and you can compare the decisions that our region made, which I carried, and then to um, uh, the conference. Now, one last thing I'll share that I think is really important here, because I think I'm running out of time. I don't want you to have to yeah. cut this out. Or you're going to edit, and you can edit stuff yeah. out. But um, we did something um, that hadn't been done before, and you were a part of that. So we had a live WhatsApp channel going. It was a live, what was going on, when it was going on, right? Yeah. And it's a part of the record. And I may copy that out and put it in my report so people can see. And so when we voted, there was a clicker. I made sure that my alternate delegate saw me click. If, it was a, if our region voted yes, I pressed A, and he saw me press A. And in the chat, he went vote verified. Yeah. Right. And I think that was that was something I just I came up in the last like as a, as a method of integrity to show that the delegate team is being accountable to our region for the voice that they carried, that it's difficult for two people to conspire to go against uh, uh, the conference decision. And then we also showed when we were given a vote of confidence on amendments and car on cat motions in the chat, as you saw. Uh, the delegate team is either going to abstain or they're going to vote yes. And the delegate team has consensus that we're going to vote yes. It was also open that if if there were RCMs in that chat, they could have participated in that discussion in real time during that time that it was going on. And they could have said, no, we, we don't, I don't think I agree with that. Uh, so hopefully future delegates and future conferences will continue to mature that process and hopefully encourage other RCMs that they can participate in real time in the conference with their delegate team, and they could have a voice in some of those decisions. It's just not two guys. So Mason, I think that you guys are doing uh, rock star level uh, shit uh, with your innovation, your entrepreneur uh, perspective of carrying the message. I've, been an i've been a fan and a secret admirer of Hohenwall. did i pronounce that right yeah i always say Hohenwall, and they always the newcomers group the newcomer groups uh i've always been a big fan when you guys asked me to do a car workshop i never do a car workshop for a group right you know i'm not doing that but when you guys asked i did not hesitate it, without question i said i'd love to drive two and a half hours to do a car workshop for your group because you guys go out of your way for the newcomer. You guys go out of your way to carry this message. And that was my way of just showing, of demonstrating my respect for what you guys do and what you're doing. And that um, uh, the best friend that you're ever gonna have doesn't even know they're gonna be clean yet. Yeah. That's crazy to think about, huh? Yeah.
That is crazy oh. to think about. Hold on, hold on. I, I missed an opportunity there. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that is a perfect opportunity to wrap this thing up, man. Uh, Kelly, we're extremely grateful. Uh, we want to bring you back someday so that you can um, do what the rest of our guests have done and kind of share your path to recovery um, outside of what you participated in at the World Service Conference. And uh, I'd love to double dip. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's going to happen, man. And I'll be in touch and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, the The region that you just became the vice chair of is in good hands, man, for the next couple of years anyway. So um, they don't know what they're getting. Uh, nobody works harder than you, buddy. And um, we're, we're grateful for you. Well, Thank you for you're a second. You're, you're a close second. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even think so. I don't think I'm close, but um travis thank you for painstakingly hanging in there i know you would rather be swallowing uh tenfold right now or chewing on tenfold than listening to all this shit but i'm thank glad you. that you did buddy thank you for hanging in there with me nan yeah and yeah, we'll man. be go ahead travis oh, i said yeah man <laughs> that's his intake on uh but anyways um we'll be back next week uh, I think we're going to try to get Kermit. Do you know Kermit? Mm, I think so. Kermit. Sounds familiar. Yeah. He's going to be our guest next week, and then we will start our 12-week process of breaking down the steps starting G second week of June. So come back and see us. All right. All right. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean Podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.